The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of James. James chapter 3 this morning. James chapter 3. I want to tell you a story, and I know that's what pastors do, but tell you a story and then tie in to the message this morning. In the book of James, we have the double-minded man. Now, if you've been in a study with James or you've talked about James, you've possibly heard that it's the Proverbs of the New Testament. A lot of people will say that because James is an early book, probably the first book written in your New Testament. Your Bible's not in order, believe it or not. But James is probably our first book that you have in your Bible. And then it probably goes to 1 Corinthians, maybe Thessalonians and from there. So James had very little when it comes to teaching of Paul or teaching of the church. So you don't see very much of that at all in the book of James. But I don't honestly believe that James was just sitting around one day and decided he was just going to write a bunch of thoughts. Okay, James was a man of purpose. And when you look at James in the book of Acts, he's, he's the one who takes the lead. He's the one that straightens things out in Acts chapter 15. I mean, James is the man. But not only that, when you consider writing a New Testament book, it's not like today. It wasn't like James was sitting at his desk and, you know, and pulled out his fountain pen and, and sat down with a notebook that he picked up from Dollar General and just started writing down thoughts. Okay, that was a tedious work. And it was very, very expensive. And it was very time-consuming. Um, when, when Erasmus was writing and compiling his Greek text... Uh, he thought demons were attacking him and it was fleas just at his legs because he was not moving as he was sitting there and tediously writing and doing his translating. It was hard work. There's no lamps. There's no air conditioning. They're working with candles. And so for James to sit down and write a letter, I can't help but think there's a purpose. I think one of the purposes was to encourage the early church to endure to the end. You see him starting with that and you see him ending with that. But I also believe that James was frustrated with the double-mindedness that was happening inside the church. And, and so he's, he's writing, you know, right off the bat to this double-minded man. When I was a sophomore here at Pensacola Christian College, I was sitting in the Varsity Commons and I was eating dinner. And I was sitting beside a boy, his name was Rusty Robertson. He um, was a basketball player with the Eagles and he was sitting beside me. And, and two girl, actually it was just one girl walks into the varsity commons all by herself. And as we're sitting there at this round table, seven of us there, there was one chair empty. I look up and I say, that's one girl that I need to meet. And Rusty says in his North Carolina accent, you don't know Carrie? And I'm like, no, I don't know her and I want to meet her. He's like, leave it to me. And so Rusty scooted down a seat. So now there's seven guys around the table and one empty seat right here beside me. And so Carrie gets her tray and she's coming and she's getting her drinks. And, and Rusty says, Carrie, sit with us, sit right here. And so poor Carrie had to come put her tray down and sit right beside me. Well, needless to say, I got to meet Carrie. 
And then she got up to leave very quickly and, and we're like, where are you going? She's like, I got to be at Mission Prayer Band. Do you guys still have Mission Prayer Band? Okay. All right. So, so I got to be at Mission Prayer Band. True story. Never went a day in my life, but I went that day. And so I do too. And so I was done eating and, and we go to Mission Prayer Band. Well, then all those seven guys decide they're going to as well. They needed it more than I did, but we all went. And so we go to Mission Prayer Band and after Mission Prayer Band, we're walking out and I said, hey, Carrie, would you like to go out sometime? And she said, no. True story. I said, why? She said, no. I said, why not? She's like, I do not date guys I don't know. I said, okay, fine. And man, she didn't know what she was doing. So from that point on, every time I saw Carrie, I was getting to know her. And I'd walk to class, I'd find her after class, she'd be sitting on the wall, I'd sit beside her on the wall, I'd see her in the commons, I'd sit beside her in the commons, and, and we started to develop a friendship. And, and so then I asked her again, hey, would you like to go to the Valentine's Day banquet with me? And this time she said, yes. And so we had a great time at the Valentine's Day banquet, and I'm thinking, man, this has potential. Now, I'm not thinking in my head, oh, she's the one, right, and girls... If a guy tells you that, run. Uh, but I'm thinking, hey, this has potential. And so we start just kind of doing things casually, you know, a ball game here, a ball game there, and just kind of friend zoning it, but it's starting to ramp up a little bit. But I took a step back. Like, you know, we just need to chill, and I just need to pray about this and make sure this is right. So it was a Sunday night, and I was sitting um, in the Dale Horton, but up in the balcony, and we were in our, our Sunday night seated position, and I was with my brother at church that night. And so I'm sitting there, and my brother's sitting there, and we're sitting back waiting for church to start. And the ushers are coming down, seating people. And, and the ushers came down and, and sat two people in front of us, and I'm not paying any attention. But then I look, and it's this girl, it's Carrie. But she's with another guy. Church date. And so they come in, and the ushers sit them right in front of us. So I'm sitting there and I look up and my brother says really loudly, that ain't good. (laughs) And I went, nope, that's not good at all. Now, needless to say, I I never asked Carrie out again after that. Um, We did stay friends. I don't know what was the post service or whatever you guys were just talking about. We called it Panhellenic back in the day. And we did some panalytic back and forth as friends. And, but, but no, no dating after that. We both dated other people and, and we're done. Well, long story short, maybe one day I'll get a chance to tell you the whole story. But I was in Hawaii uh, after I graduated. I worked at a church camp for a week and then toured the island for a week. And I got a postcard and I knew Carrie was working at the Wilds Christian Camp. And, and so I just wrote her a little postcard, a little note and told her about Hawaii and how things were going. And I sent it to the Wilds Christian camp. And when the post office got the letter, they stamped it and they stamped my name out. So she gets a postcard from Hawaii and has no idea who wrote it at the Wilds. And because, and I wasn't gonna tell this story, but when I heard about the Panhellenic, I gotta tell it. Because of us writing back and forth in Panhellenic, she recognized my writing. So I get back from Hawaii and I get a phone call out of nowhere one day. And this girl says, hey, do you know who this is? 
I like, no, I don't know who this is. We've graduated, we're home, moving on with my life and ministry. She said, this is Carrie, did you send me a postcard? And I said, yeah. She's like, I didn't know you were going to Hawaii. And I said, well, you know, we went to Hawaii and I thought I'd send you a postcard. Well, long story short, 20 years later and four kids later, it all works out. God had a plan and God had a purpose at all. So don't give up, guys. You have no idea what God has in store. But here's the deal. And I'll tell you this this morning because I told my wife she's, I, she couldn't watch this message. There was no way for her to access it. My wife was double-minded. Okay? She, she was with me and she liked the idea with me. But boy, she liked this other guy. And she liked the idea of being with this other guy. And she couldn't make up her mind which side she was on. And when we look at the book of James, in the book of James, we see coming through this whole book, double-mindedness. I mean, James is, is talking to these people and these people are on the fence. It's, it's like they're looking at the road and, and they see both lanes of this road going either direction and they've got to figure out which lane to take. They need to figure out which direction they're going to go and James is trying to encourage them to do that. Elijah looked at the children of Israel and he said, you're double-minded. From Mount Carmel, when he was facing the prophets of Baal, he calls them out for their double-mindedness. In 1 Kings 18, 21, and Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. Why? Why couldn't they answer him a word? Because they were double-minded. You know, in chapter four, you, you look at verse four, he says, Why, how can you be a friend of God and a friend of the world? And he uses the word adulterous. It doesn't get any worse than that. And then in Revelation 3.15, I know thy works. Thou art neither hot nor cold. I would that thou were either cold or hot. So James is, is writing, and I believe this is where this early church is. Man, they're, they're halting between two opinions. They don't know which way to go. And this group of believers seems to be on the fence, not just with their Christianity, but with a very variety of issues. In chapter one, you see it with their prayer life, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. And then you get into chapter two or chapter one, it's the word of God as well. And then we get into chapter two and it's the rich and the poor and it's showing partiality in, in pleasing others. We all know chapter three, it's, it's the, the chapter of the tongue and the speech. And, and man, when it comes to salt water and fresh water, if you've all been to the ocean, you know that taste of that salt water. And it's like, how can you have salt and fresh at the same place? And then this morning, we're going to look at the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And then we look at this idea of friendships and how they're dueling in their friendships. His words to them are not pleasant. He's calling them out for their sin. But here's the deal, young people. You all are between two opinions and a variety of issues in your lives. You all are facing things that I never had to face when I was your age. You all are facing issues and, and things in our society that I would have never dreamed that one day we would be facing. More than ever, we live in a day when we are being challenged on what we believe. We don't believe in the role of a man and a woman being different, or do we? 
We don't believe that killing babies is wrong if it endangers the mother or it was in a case of rape. Or do we? We don't believe in the critical race theory. Or do we? We don't believe in an early earth theory. Matter of fact, I'm not even sure the earth is round. Or is it? We don't think homosexuality is wrong. After all, they were born that way. Or were they? We don't believe a man can be a girl. We just believe there was a genetic mutation giving the baby the wrong sexual biologics when that baby was born. I was running the trail in West Virginia in Morgantown. And as I was running, I, I came up on a young man and I start running with him. And any opportunity I have, I, I, I try to start a redemptive, I call it redemptive relationship. And so try to get to know people and then coffee and then Christ. And I run alongside of him and we're running and we get to talking. And, and he was telling me that his wife was pregnant and they were expecting their first child. I said, man, that's awesome. I said, I've been through that four times and there's nothing as amazing as watching a mama carry that baby in the belly and then this baby being born, this little human. And I said, just seeing them come out and, and knowing this is your child, I, I can't, it's, it's just speechless. I said, God says we are fearfully and wonderfully made and, and he knew us when we were in the womb. And it's just a wonderful thing how God develops that baby in the womb and we have the baby today. And he looks at me and he says, yeah, we're honestly still just trying to figure that out. So what do you mean? He says, I'm a geneticist. And we're not exactly sure how it happens in the womb, but one day we'll figure it out. I was talking to a student, graduated from our local high school, went off to Notre Dame, graduated with honors, and is at the University of Cincinnati in med school right now. He told me a few weeks ago that in med school, they were talking about a disease that, that's triggered more in men than women. And after the professor of medicine said that, he said this, I'm sorry if that offends any of you. I don't know why our textbook says it that way, but that's just the way it is. We're offended that one disease is more prevalent in a man than a woman. That's where you all are headed in just a few years. That's the society in which we live. Those are the questions that you are going to be nailed with every day. And what does God expect you to do? Does God expect you just to go with it? Does God expect you to just walk down the middle, okay, with both roads before you? You see, it's, it's not Baal or God. Today, it's, it's the Bible or the world. Is your Bible true? And is your Bible right? Or is it wrong? Is thus saith the Lord what the Lord has? Or thus saith the Lord what God doesn't have for us? Notice what he says here in chapter four. In this context, he brings up this double-mindedness. He says, cleanse your hands, you double-minded. So even here, he's bringing this in and he's tying all of this together. Why is this important? Okay, so our text this morning is James chapter 3. Let's begin reading in verse 13. Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? 
Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, is sensual, is devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle. It's easy to be entreated. It's full of mercy and good works, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in them that make peace. We have two contradictions going on here. Okay, we have the, the wisdom of the world and we have the, the wisdom of God. We have a battle going on inside of us. It's, it's the world and it's God. If you will, it's Baal and it's God. We're either hot or we're cold. And, and we're going back and forth all the time. Why? Because we live in this world. You guys are being bombarded with this world. You, YouTube is the world. You know, the social media is the world. The news is the world. I often say when we look at, at this passage of scripture, where it says the wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. To say, I, you could put Disney-ish in there. Now, I'm not against Disney, and I still have the subscription to the Disney Channel or whatever it is. But what's Disney doing to my children? They're incorporating the world into their lives. They're trying to make my kids think what's normal, and it's not normal. They're, they're introducing to them the normality of, of homosexual relationships and, and trying to make them think this is just how it is and this is not how it has to be. And that's wisdom that's not from above. And so you are constantly getting that message thrown at you all the time. And notice what James says here. This, this wisdom, okay, is not from above. And where there's envying and strife, there's confusion in every evil work. All right, now, now look at this word confusion. If you pronounce that, what English word do you kind of see coming out there? A catastasia. A catastra, what? Catastrophe. We have a catastrophe today. And in your lives right now, students, there's a catastrophe going on. Elijah looked at the children of Israel and said, this is a catastrophe. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ looked at the church at Laodicea and he says, this is a catastrophe. And as you're looking at your life right now saying, listen, your life is a mess. It's a catastrophe. This word catastrophe means disorder. Okay, it, it does mean this idea of, of a mess and what is going on. It's tumult. It's wars and rumors of wars, verse 1 says. And, and, and out of this comes what? It comes every evil work. And so when we watch a 19-year-old kick in a school door and kill innocent children, it's, it's mind-boggling. We had a, a, a church in our area that did a, a security, had a security team training day and they had a, a group come in and, and these security guards had to train and, and they went into a Sunday school room and, and a friend of mine had to be the bad guy. And so he had a gun and he was going from desk to desk and he was executing these, they weren't even kids there. 
He was just pretending to execute these kids one by one with the gun. He ran to the bathroom after the third one and threw up. And it was just pretend. How in the world can someone do that for real? This is how. Because of this wisdom that's coming from the world and and where it leads. And and it's causing confusion in, in their minds and confusion in what's happening. And they're just acting out on that confusion, which brings every evil work. It's earthly. It's around us. It's sensual. It's devilish. But I want to look at this word sensual. The word sensual, as we see this, and I have it here, this wisdom of the world. So, so I have this earthly wisdom, which we've talked about. We have this devilish wisdom, which again, when you see somebody commit an evil work like this, there's only one thing to go back to, and that is the devil. But I want to put the focus on this word in the middle, sensual. And that word is a very, again, interesting word as you look at it in the Greek. Okay, and, and it's the, the Greek word as we see it, psychos. Okay, it's our psychic. Now, what is psychic? All right, we know what a psychic, when we talk about psychic, you know, maybe you watch the show Psych or whatever. But it's the natural. And what James is talking about is that natural that's within us. It's our psyche. It's who we are. And we are who we are, okay, because of our backgrounds, because of who your parents are. I've loved getting to know you students. Last night I was in the commons and I sat down and there was a couple sitting there in the commons and I didn't recognize him, but I knew her immediately because she's a spitting image of her mom and dad together. And I'm like, I know who you are because of mom and dad, but it's just not in our looks. It's in our psyche. Have you ever heard the statement, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? You might think right now, I'll never act like my mom. I'll never act like my dad. Yeah, wait till you're married for about 20 years. You will become your mom or you will become your dad, whether you like it or not, because it's who you are. Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotional Healthy Spirituality, says this, some of us only know how to walk with the excess weight of the past. True spirituality requires, however, going back in order to go forward, breaking free from the destructive, sinful patterns of our past to live the life of love God intends. Many of you here are living in the past. Many of you here have gone through things that I can't even imagine. Many of you here have suffered abuse, whether physical abuse, spiritual abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse. You've had a terrible childhood. As I was talking last night, many of you have gone through suffering. Some of you have told me you've lost a mom or you've lost a dad or you've lost a brother, you've lost a sister. It's not easy. And because of our past and because of who we are and because of what's going on, maybe when I was six or seven years old or eight years old or 12 years old, even though now I'm 21, I really don't know any other life than living in the light of what has happened to me. And and you've lived these past 10, 15 years as a victim. And, And you've treated your friends like you're a victim. And you've treated your family like you're a victim. 
And, and even if it's not that, there's still things that's happened, whether you were in high school or junior high or in your family, that, that's influenced you and making you who you are today. And it's never been dealt with. If I can say it this way, students, I hope you understand what I'm saying. You have only been a victim of the sovereignty of God. We don't understand it. But as I said last night, these things have happened, but it's only happened through him. You say, but but Pastor Jake, how in the world could God allow that? I wish I could answer that for you, but I can't. But what I do know is God's got you here right now for a reason. And you can't expect to go forward And you can't expect to have the wisdom that comes from above on how to deal with this situation or that situation or these things that are happening in your life until you deal with that psyche issue that's going on inside of you, that natural thing that's going on inside of you. We've got to learn to deal with that. We've got to learn to go back and say, okay, Lord, how how do I handle this? How do I go through this? It's that earthly, sensual, devilish wisdom. But God says this, and I love it. There's a wisdom also that comes from above. And it's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's easy to be entreated. It's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. And as I was meditating on that verse early one morning last week, as I was prepping for this college session, I thought, wait a second. That sounds like the Beatitudes. You see, over 20 times, James is going to mention the Beatitudes somewhere in the book of James. And over 40 times, he's going to reference the Old Testament. And so I started to do a parallel here with with Christ's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount and with James here. And you can see how they just tie together. And I love it. So blessed are the pure in heart for they shall what? They'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Okay, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, blessed are the merciful, shall they shall obtain mercy. Now look at your Bible again. Pure, peacemakers, gentle. Okay, there's mercy. So, so James is telling them the wisdom that comes from above comes from Christ. And so if I want to handle these situations and I want to handle life and I don't want confusion in my life anymore, then I need to jump into Matthew chapter five and just start diving into those beatitudes. And I need to see how God wants me to live and what God wants for me. And then I've got to adjust my life accordingly. You see, if I'm got a chip on my shoulder because of something that's happened, I am not utilizing the wisdom that is from above. And so there's this battle that's going on. Many of you here, you're in this battle right now. You're you're teeter-tottering, if you will, from the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. You're you're, you're trying to figure out which one it is. You know, you're you're, you're sitting in in a chapel and God's getting a hold of your heart. You're sitting in church and God's getting a hold of your heart. But then you get back to the dorm room and it's just the same ways again. And and you know what's right, but it seems like every time I'm, I'm with him, you know, I'm with my boyfriend. It's just things, directions go the way I don't want it to go, but I, I don't know what to do. And you're teeter-tottering. And, and the things that maybe you've heard your whole life, this earthly, sensual, devilish stuff that's bombarding your brain is, is justifying your actions. But in your heart, you know this isn't right and you can't balance the both. When I went to Faith Baptist Church, I went as a youth pastor. 
I got to Faith Baptist Church as a youth pastor. I went into you do youth group on a Wednesday night and I had three teenagers in my youth group and six adult helpers. I was, I was upset. That's one question I didn't ask. And I went home that night and I told my wife, what in the world are we doing here? This is ridiculous. I am wasting my time. We had a VBS, we called it Children's Revival. And in the middle of the week at that Children's Revival, 20 teenagers showed up. And it was just supposed to be from first grade to sixth grade. And 20 teens show up. And I'm new in town. I don't know where they're from. They jumped on the bus and they came. And I thought, this is my opportunity. And so I start talking to these 20 bus kids that came in and where do you guys live? Oh, we just live about, you know, a half a mile up the road. Oh, that's great. So I build this relationship. I, I print out this little form. I said, come next Wednesday night. And, and so I go to pick them up and I couldn't find where they came from. And so I felt badly that I couldn't get them after I told them I'd pick them up. But I went back to church with my three kids, right? And all of a sudden in the windows of the youth room, I see nine of them walking past the window. I said, what are you guys doing? They said, you didn't pick us up. So we came to church. They walked a mile to come to youth group. I developed a relationship with these kids. You talk about a rough background. I was teaching through the Ten Commandments. And as I was teaching through the Ten Commandments, I skipped honor thy father and thy mother because I knew their fathers and their mothers. I had one boy that was in my youth group that looked at me and he said, Pastor Trey, he was in the eighth grade and he could dunk. I mean, the kid was so talented. Ended up in a juvenile detention center. And sitting in my youth group, he's like, I will never honor my mother. His mother walked across the street from her apartment to another apartment to live with two guys and looked at her son and said, never talk to me again. I'm not your mom. And he had to raise his siblings by himself. So I decided I was going to take them all to camp. And so I loaded 20 of those kids up and we went to camp. One of the boys that went to camp, he was a 12 year old. His name was Dakota. And Dakota was about this big. And, and we go to camp and Dakota makes a decision for Christ. Dakota comes home and decides he's going to get baptized. And, and it was, this is the area where Dakota lived and all these kids lived. One day I was picking them up in the bus, I was in the van. And a guy literally jumps into my window and he's got a huge Bowie knife. And he jumps in my window and he just starts screaming, okay, very, very bad words. And he's with that knife just screaming at me. And I'm like, buddy, you got to calm down and get out of my face. Get out of my face. And he's just screaming the F word. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. I said, get out of my face. And finally he walks and goes, goes on. He would sit in that apartment complex and carve words in his leg with that knife and then take a needle, a thread and sew it up. He was demon possessed. And when I got in there to reach those kids, he wanted me out of there. Anyway, I pull in to pick up Dakota. Dakota's getting baptized on Sunday. Dakota steps up into the van. And as he steps up into the van, there's a girl that shows up. I've never seen this girl before in my life. She's about 20 years old and it's very obvious she's a prostitute. Now I could run that, the UPS man will not go to this area at night. I could go any time of the day or night. and Everybody loved me because I knew I was taking care of their kids. But I've never seen her before. And she runs up and literally, I am not lying, she grabs Dakota's arm and says, Dakota, come with me. 
He's 12 years old. He's like, but I'm going to church. And she says, Dakota, come with me. And Dakota, with one foot in my van and one foot on the street, has got to make a decision as a 12-year-old boy which direction he's going to go. I'm looking at her and I'm screaming, Dakota, get in the van, get in the van. And I look up and there were two pimps standing behind a tree watching this with evil smirks on their face, wanting Dakota. And, and, and my, my song leader now, and who helped me in youth, Tim, Tim was like, Dakota, get in this van now, get in this van now. I said, Dakota, get in the van. And, and just like where we are today, many of us, Dakota was teetering on which side he was going to go to. I'm sad to say Dakota went with her. I've never seen Dakota again. He was gone and that was it. Choose you this day who you will serve. There is no middle ground. God is saying, where do you stand? You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.